Welcome back to another week here on the Bills Beat Podcast. My name is Joe Biscaglia. With me is my co-host Matthew Fairburn. And the Bills have conducted their first week of OTAs. We, as members of the media, were able to witness one of the three practices this week and uh, have some interesting, I guess, little nuggets from practice, as interesting as they can be from a uh, helmet and padless and shorts-laden practice. But yes, we'll go over much of what uh, we saw and and certainly with how it uh, impacts how the Bills kind of march forward. But before we get started, Matthew Fairburn, a huge announcement here. We are on Spotify. Are you kidding me? It has been over a year, I think. They have shunned us for so long. And now we're here. We're on Spotify. At long last, we've made it. We have. I can finally tell my mom that we've made it. <laughs> and that and that's not to uh, disrespect you know, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. They, they were in on the ground floor. But Spotify, welcome to the party. Spotify, after holding out for quite a long time, could not deny us anymore. No. A credit to the listeners. Absolutely. More mm-hmm. than anyone else who have have driven this train spotify wants a piece of the pie it might be too late people, Could be. people already have their habits yeah. of, of listening to us yeah might be a little bit too late spotify i don't know but better late than never i yeah. suppose that a way to get your stuff together finally all right so otas happened uh we'll get into some of those in a bit but the the big news from yesterday uh by all means was the re-signing of jerry hughes to an additional two years on top of his one year remaining on his contract. So he is now signed for the Bills through 2021, which is a huge thing because if you've been listening to us, I don't know, for basically the entire offseason, the Bills have practically nothing at defensive end, or they had practically nothing at defensive end past this season outside of Trent Murphy. And he's still a huge question mark because... They could easily get out from his contract after or before next season. And so they would they could basically hit the restart button totally. But I believe it was our last show, Matthew, that we brought up the idea, hey, they should really think about re-signing Jerry Hughes. And lo and behold, they do it before OTAs get started. I mean, it's just it's a good deal all around. He's a monster in this in this defensive scheme. Don't look at the sack statistics. He draws double teams so much. He has little to no help basically every play. The dude just fires through. Um, he, his uh, unsportsmanlike penalties have gone down. His his run stuffing have been has been better. I mean, I look at Jerry Hughes as a complete defensive end at the age of thirty, and they, I, I thought I thought their the extension was well warranted, and it, it was just a good deal all around. Yeah, it was. It's kind of like the Eric Wood one from a few years ago, which obviously didn't turn out well because Eric Wood had to retire because of an injury. But it was just one of those where a lot of times people look at a guy that's 30 years old and they look at his contract coming up and just assume that'll be it. But it's okay to just extend the guy two years and maybe at the end of the two, he's still playing well and you give him another year or two. I mean, pass rushers can be successful well into their 30s and so Mm -hmm. it's not unreasonable to expect that he would improve uh you know like you said the the sack numbers have been down but he still creates a lot of pressure and I think you know 
with more help around him, maybe he hits home on some more sacks, causes some more big plays. But, I mean, he still looks like he has every bit of the ability that's made him one of the best, you know, defensive ends in football over the last few years. I often think to myself that they probably should limit his reps in the spring just so that the offense can actually work on schedule. And they did a little bit. Because he ruins, I I mean, poor Deion Dawkins. It's not a fair fight. I I mean, it's good for Deion Dawkins to go up against a guy like that, but man, Jerry Hughes gets the best of him consistently. And In the spring, it's not even close to a fair fight because it's it's non-contact and and the offensive line can't do half the things that they would be able to do in contact practices. And so it's just... Hughes is always in the backfield in that setting. Yeah, it, and it becomes a bit of an issue for for the offense. But I think it was it was a pretty easy, pretty easy deal. Not a a huge you know burden on the salary cap. They have the money to spend, and he was one of the few guys eligible for an extension that you would say, yeah, definitely get that done. Yep. You know, use some of that money on him because who else when you look around. Are you saying that about right now? Not a whole lot of guys, and it's probably another. You know, next off season might be another one, kind of like the one that just passed, where there's not a ton of players that you're sitting there, you know, talking about resigning. So this made sense to get it done, keep them happy, get mm-hmm. them back focused on on the field, and and go from there. I, I think it's uh, it provides some short term stability to a position that that needed stability beyond this season. Yeah, and if we're talking his ability and compared to the rest of the defensive line on this roster, I mean, just this is a very small example of what makes Jerry Hughes Jerry Hughes, but they were going through, the defensive linemen were going through um, a series of, you know, tackling dummies. They were going, zipping in and around, and then at the very end, they had to turn on a dime around the last one and then and then get back over. So Trent Murphy took a wide, wide uh, roundabout around the bag, which just shows a lot of flexibility in, in the legs and being able to bend and everything like that. Shaq Lawson was very tight, could not really do it. Jerry Hughes basically put his knee on the ground and turned it on a dime. I mean, that's that's the type of ability that he has. He... Combines that with uh, now solid run support and being able to beat a guy one-on-one fairly consistently. They have to double-team him. I mean, look a, a couple days ago, or I'm sorry, yesterday when the the news came down from Adam Schefter, I think it was Mike Tannenbaum who said, yeah, you know, this is a good deal because he was the guy we always game plan for. And that, I don't think, is just a one man's opinion throughout the league. It is... Very clear, if you watch him on tape, he is one of the best players on the field, if not the best player on the field for the Bills, week in and week out. So this was a good deal all around. Um, I also want to touch on a bit of the ripple effect of this, because now that Jerry Hughes is signed to a fairly substantial contract next season, I wonder if this now completely rules out in their mind bringing back Shaq Lawson. Because Shaq is probably going to get paid more than they would be willing to give him. Still very young. Um, If he puts a few sacks on the board this year, especially uh, on the right defensive end, 
the side, which they flipped him to, at least for um, yesterday's practice, and flipped Eddie Yarbrough back over to the left to take on the right tackles. If he puts some solid work together as a rotational defensive end, then you know teams might try and project and and make make good on the potential that he had as a first round pick. But by and large, I think this is the Jerry Hughes show. Uh, I don't know that they don't they feel all that strongly about Shaq Lawson, and I think that move over to the right side is, if it's permanent, is just another uh, emphasizing point that uh, they don't really view Shaq Lawson as a starter. Yeah, I I think you know they obviously tipped their hand with what they you know, are comfortable with, with his value when they didn't pick up his fifth year option, a number that would have been over 11. Yeah. Over, but which not it, which isn't huge. I mean, it's a big number, but it's not an insane number for a pass rusher. You know, it's not as big as it would be if he were a top 10 or top five pick. True. And it's, it certainly wouldn't put him in the territory of some of these highest paid defensive ends in the league. So when they said they wouldn't even want that want for a one-year short-term thing when they don't have many long-term answers at that position, I think that tipped their hand as to what they think his value is. And unless something changes in how he plays, which right. he hasn't had to this point a season where he's been completely 100% healthy in the same scheme for a second year in a row. Because he was a bit banged up last year, too. He's always a little bit nicked up here and there. So last year was probably his best season. If he can build on that, I don't know that it changes their mind. Because if anything, that's just going to make Shaq look more at what other teams might value him at. Mm-hmm. And and he's not going to take less to stay, I wouldn't think. And I'm not sure why anyone could blame him so you know this is his first chance at uh you know free agency so if he does get between eight and ten sacks and you know really develop as a pass rusher he's already great against the run then he's probably just gonna look and say yep i'm gonna go get what's mine and after all the money that got thrown around at that position last year he could get a decent contract so uh it certainly clouds his future a little bit Mm -hmm. but I still think you, you know, we talked about the possibility of them drafting an edge rusher or signing one. And, you know, I think their name was attached to a few of the big ones this offseason. But I still think you feel okay about where they're at at defensive end because Shaq Lawson's a decent player. Jerry Hughes is a really good player. And if Trent Murphy's healthy, I think he's at least decent. He, he's probably not a game changer, but. I think he's he's a solid player, and that gives you three decent defensive ends. Right. It's it's not a strength of the team, but it's not a massive weakness either. No, I think a name to keep an eye on in in that room is Eli Harold, um, because if he's able to show some ability at getting after the passer, I think that would put Eddie Yarbrough's spot on the roster very much in jeopardy if it's not already. I mean, they moved him back to the left side, meaning okay, you didn't do what you what we wanted you to do against left tackles last year, so let's move you back to the other side. So he's got some work cut out for him. He's got to have a, a summer like he did in 2017 when he initially made the team because he just he doesn't do anything on special teams. Um, he had dwindling snap counts. He was a healthy scratch at the end of the year. Yarbrough's got his work cut out for him. But quickly on Shaq Lawson, um, the one thing 
you you said was if he improves as a pass rusher. That's a big if with him because we really haven't seen signs of potential growth. Like it's all just been very much bull rush, bull rush. Oh, got stood up. I'll try and bat down the pass with my arms. There's not a lot of variance to his moves. Now, maybe it's different in moving over back to the right side because that's where he's comfortable. I'll I'll go back to this because I remember one day I was talking to Deion Dawkins about the difference between playing left tackle to right tackle. And I think I've said this on the podcast already, maybe months ago. But I asked him how much of a difference it is for the body because muscle memory, everything like that. And he said it was a huge difference. And then Shaq, whose locker is right next to him, basically chimed in the same. He's like, yeah, same thing. I mean, I, same thing with defensive end. I I used to do that. I used to be on the right side my, my whole career. So maybe that will help unlock him as a pass rusher a little bit. Maybe the Bills are putting him on that side to try and up his value to potentially yield them a bigger compensatory pick in 2021 because he's really their best chip at this point for uh, for free agency next year to try and get that uh, that compensatory pick and maybe so even a third be, render. They might be spending again. It would be the the problem. I yeah, would, they probably they could be. be. They probably wouldn't rule out spending big if the right guy becomes available. They but, could be. Sure. But yeah, he would he's that's the other problem they've had the last few years is when you don't have a lot of guys to resign, the guys that do hit free agency aren't getting big money deals to get you comp picks. And I think, you know, that's part of the you know, the issue you have when you kind of strip your your cupboard of all the the guys that were drafted by the previous regime. And Shaq Lawson's one of the few left over and, and I think, like you said, the the improving as a pass rusher is not impossible, but it's also pretty tough to do because, you know, your athletic traits are what they are. Mm-hmm. Those aren't going to dramatically improve. You know, you mentioned he's he's a little bit tighter uh, in his short area quickness than than Jerry Hughes, and we don't see a lot of the moves. A lot of his sacks are hustle sacks, or like you said, his bull rush is is solid, but he's going to need to develop a move if he's ever going to become, you know, a pass rusher that that racks up sacks. And it's not easy to do at a point in your career where you kind of are what you are in, in some respects. So You can't bend around the edge. That's not him. Right. Your role can game. change, you know, and, and maybe a, there's a defense that would fit him better or a role that would fit him better. We'll see if he's better on, on the other side of the, the line. But I think what you'll see is if he stays healthy – and if he gets the opportunities, sometimes sacks can be luck. You know, a, a, a lot of times that could help boost his value and, and would only make it less likely that he returns. But mm-hmm. like you said, could be, you know, a, a situation where if they know he's going to get a big money deal, that's all part of the strategy is if you know he's going to get a big money deal, maybe you hold off on the first wave of free agency. There's different ways to play it. But it'll be interesting to see how the whole situation plays out and what their 2020 free agency strategy looks like because you know it a lot will depend on how they perform this year and how much pressure there is heading into that fourth year that's absolutely right so uh, i i don't offhand i don't really know a one position in particular on their roster right now i would see them just going in on i mean we have to see the season and, and how it kind of evolves 
maybe they'll need an off a top flight offensive tackle by the end of the year and that becomes abundantly clear but we, we there's still so many variables that I can't really pinpoint a position for them to go totally in on last year you could probably go okay well Eric Woods down they have Russell Bodine who sucked in Cincinnati um and Ryan Groy who really wasn't all that to write home about um and you go okay well probably center is a good spot to start so uh, what I guess we'll end up seeing there, but Shaq Lawson's performance this year could infinitely help them both on the field in 2019 and for uh, yielding them a fairly high compensatory pick if he does well enough and if he gets paid enough because we have seen pass rushers or defensive ends, I should say, get taken early in the draft and they get paid handsomely if they get get to free agency, if they have, you know, a... a an ounce of talent. If if they show somewhat of an ability to affect a game, then they usually get paid pretty handsomely, and I think the Bills know that. And I think Shaq Lawson fits that mold. He's on the bottom end of it, but he still fits the profile of guys who have gotten big contracts. And look, if they if they thought he had done enough to earn that here, they would not hesitate to give it to him because they need defensive end help. And, you know, they they have the cap room to do it if they wanted to do it. And so part of it is how he's played. I think part of it is, you know, whether or not they're sold on him as a guy in their room in terms of I think they liked how he responded last year when they challenged him. But ideally, they want guys that they don't have to challenge. And so I think part of it will be I don't know how you prove that because how do you prove, you know, if they don't trust you to be motivated without money on the line, then they may not want to hand you the big money. So, Mm -hmm. and it would be hard to blame them for that um, in his case in particular. I I think he's become, I mean, he's a good guy. It's not that he's, you know, a troublemaker or anything like that. It's more about making sure he's motivated and making sure that he'll stay motivated if you know, or when he gets the big contract, whether it's in Buffalo or somewhere else. So uh, Hughes is back for the next three years, and that answers one of the questions there. Now only uh, Trent Murphy has to answer the question on the other side. And before we find out if the Bills have to make another big move for a pass rusher, they might do it anyway in uh, in next offseason. The other big news from um, Tuesday's OTAs was that Tyler Croft, the presumed starter at tight end, their free agent signing, their, finger quotes, big money signing at tight end, broke his foot on the first day. And it was the same broken foot, his right foot, by the way, that he uh, that he broke in Cincinnati last year that cost him 11 games. Not a great start for the tight end position. And just to add, you know, Injury to insult, to flip that term, Jason Kroom waltzes off with an yep. athletic trainer during during the practice yesterday. So the Bills are down to Lee Smith, Dawson Knox, Tommy Sweeney, and Moral Stevens if uh, Jason Kroom's injury is anything big. But we don't know anything about that just yet. But Tyler Croft's injury is definitely a blow here because uh, he was supposed to be the starter. He was supposed to be the athletic guy um, while maybe Dawson Knox spent some time learning. The timetable on his broken foot is going to be huge. Could Croft have come back 
at some point last year um, because they there was there was some hemming and hawing in, in Cincinnati, and then they eventually just put him on injured reserve. But I wonder, I guess if you're looking for the optimistic side, it happening quite literally on the first day of OTAs, still, how many months is it? Four months, almost three and a half months until the start of the season. It's within the realm of possibilities that he's able to come back. But, you know, we have to see how he comes back from surgery, how long the timetable is, and and uh, go from there. But it, by by all means, something that Brandon Bean certainly did not want to hear on the uh, on the first day of OTAs. Yeah, I, the fact that it's the same foot is a problem. I mean, we saw a few years ago with Sammy Watkins the way these foot injuries can go, and that gives you some pause over even when he is back. Are you going to have to ease him back in? Are you going to have to... I mean, let's face it. He's learning a new offense and working with a new quarterback. And now he doesn't get basically the entire offseason to do that. And odds are he'll miss most, if not all, of training camp. Mm -hmm. Uh, It looks like a three to four month recovery, which, like you said, kind of fits right in that window of when the season starts. I don't think it would be a huge shock if he started the season on the PUP. and It's kind of like the Trent Murphy situation last year, right? Because Trent was, Trent was uh, I mean, he got... That's to happen in training camp, though, right? First first day? No, but I mean, he was, he was slowed down. Uh, he didn't oh, participate yeah, he didn't in, participate in the spring. at all, but right. from the lingering. You'd almost feel better, and I don't know, did Tyler Croft have surgery on this foot at the end of last season Great question for because Google. because remember um sammy watkins like initially held off or you know and then it just ended up causing him more problems and i don't know if this was ever reported as a as a list frank or or whatever else but we've seen the jones fracture in the foot cause some problems yeah he uh, had surgery and so sometimes you need a two surgeries to kind of you know get it right and so I think it's going to be a, a situation to monitor because Sammy Watkins has continued to have random problems with that foot uh, and, you know, missing a game or two or having soreness or whatever else. So that all of a sudden creates a situation where, you know, our Kyle Rudolph conversation uh, on the podcast last week, I still think it's probably not the most likely no. Because in October, or let's say Tyler Croft is out till October, the same problem we talked about would still pop up in terms of having too many mouths to feed. I think what this does is provides a a sliver of hope for Jason Kroom. Guys like Jason Kroom and Tommy Sweeney, and I would, I think it stands to reason they'll probably add another veteran yeah, I to get them through camp. Yep. But I think you have to get used to the idea of starting the season without Tyler Croft because even if he is back, he's going to have to get in condition and he's not going to be on, you know, nearly as up to speed as all the other guys on offense or, you know, have the trust of Josh Allen the way some of the other guys will have. So that was the most, dev- you know, the most, you know, kind of detrimental injury of the three uh that we learned of yesterday or well there was more than three but the three guys that had to have surgery 
Mitch Morris and Cole Beasley. Morris was still running around there pretty good. I I think he had Morris that... is eight weeks removed from yeah, having that. Right. They basically, I think Cole Beasley, I would assume, is the same. They signed those guys, and when they did the physical, realized that that was, you know, going to be necessary. Mm-hmm. Morris had no idea, and so, you know, a lot of people have asked like, why did they still sign them? Like, you know, confusion over that. But it's more. It's more a situation of, okay, we found out this guy needs a hernia surgery and we're either going to rip this contract up and, you know, that doesn't look good. Think about the Ryan Grant situation mm-hmm. uh, in free agency. You know, that doesn't make you look very good to future free agents. And you think about it, you do the math and you say, well, th- he'll, these guys should be fine for training camp. It's a minor inconvenience to not have them out there. They're still good players. We'll still give them the money. The Croft situation being different, thinking, okay, we're going to have to ease this guy in because he's coming off foot surgery, but he should be ready to go, and then he re-breaks it. That's right. a, you know, a completely new injury, very fresh, as opposed to Morris being eight weeks removed from surgery. He was doing you know, stretches, and you know, he was in his helmet uh, and you know, running around. Same with Cole Beasley at times this week. So those aren't as concerning as... Croft, who has this brand new recurring injury that seems to be something he can't escape. Also, Frank Gore was listed on that injury list, but that dude was practicing he yesterday. Was not he was he was out limited. there. Yeah, he was not. Well, was, the you know, Sean McDermott said that Frank Gore would be limited, which I assumed for a guy his age meant he was not going to be participating in team. And so when I first looked out there on the first rep of team, I thought, man, well, Sean McCoy's been hitting the weights hard and then i realized it was frank gore and he was out there for more reps than mccoy was frank gore making the conscious decision to roll up the sleeves to show off the guns he's at all times he is a massive man yes he is he's not you know you wouldn't think of it you know the way he's listed but when you see him he is he's quite large and devin singletary got you know some valuable reps yesterday too because tj yeldon was out with a a groin injury. So it was a, it was a sobering injury report. I think <laughs> Sean McDermott right. walked up and we saw the quote he had in the hallway uh, on his little new quote screen, which I'm hoping is a revolving quote screen. Yeah, and it I almost has it to be. Uh, My favorite part of the quote screen, and I've just dis- I discussed this with you, was the landscape behind it's it. It's the nice sunset. It was a sunset. Over the water. Uh, yeah, there was some water in there. Was there a beach involved? I don't. Think there, there was, was some a sort of beach. It was more of like clouds and a sky. I and feel like there was some sort of land in there, like near the bottom. But but yeah, it. If it we, was quite if, soothing. If we get rotating landscape in quotes, we'll keep you posted. Bill's, yeah, this Bill's was a, the the quote was essentially "Don't start your day with the broken pieces of yesterday," Ooh. which is suggests this is absolutely a rotating quote wall because yeah. that was a quite a fitting quote considering Sean McDermott had to start his press conference with the broken pieces of yesterday including (laughs) evidently a bone in tyler croft's foot so it's not a it was not you know it's funny the whole offseason was all about you know all these moves they made and all the improvements the roster you know and and the draft picks and this strong offseason that they had by mostly all accounts and then the first time they get to actually do football stuff sean mcdermott comes out and says yeah all the all these new guys we got are all hurt and you know a bunch of other guys are hurt too so you know kind of the reality of the nfl that you got to fight through 
you know, bad luck and injuries. They just got got their uh, their first dose of it early. They're gonna test out that new performance center. Yeah. And the uh, healing magic that it is supposed to provide pretty quickly here. Wow. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm just really focused on that quote ball at, at this point. I I want to see how it goes here. I want to. I'm interested to see what it is next week. I mean that that was a deep quote. It was deep. No attribution. But I. Who was it? I think I looked it up. Did you? Good. Don't start your day. <laughs> well, right you Googled up. it. <laughs> I'm. I'm fine. The first Google result is lifehack.org so we know which website sean goes to for his quote <laughs> if he's the one doing it though do you think he's the one doing it i wouldn't put it past yes. him i but see this is a different uh different end to the quote this says mm. every morning we wake up is the first day of the rest of our life which seems way too corny which is probably why they changed it so <laughs> maybe these are just Sean McDermott quotes. Somebody goes in there and says, Sean, what's your daily wisdom? And he just spits it out. That would be... He types it, it into his computer and it pops up on that TV. If he day. just like has them on the ready in his mind, that's impressive. Who said this Deep quote? Deep thoughts with Jack Handy. Unknown author. Wow. Unknown author. Well, Easy cop-out. I guess good that there was no attribution. Yeah. Okay. Works out. All right. All right. I I uh I rest for now. I will wait to see the next quote. Uh one of the uh other I guess things we wanted to see uh when we went out for the first time was how the offensive line would um would would line up out there and where Deion Dawkins would be throughout the practice, who's lining up with what team even though Sean McDermott was quick to point out there's no depth chart this time of year, which is right, but you still group them in a way that would be conducive to you thinking, okay, this is probably the first unit right now. Otherwise, we would see third stringers and first first teamers all lined up together, but that's that's not the case. I mean, even though it's not a firm depth chart, it's a it's a soft depth chart. So. I, I, I agree and disagree at the same time with Sean about that. But I think for for the most part, there was um, only one slight surprise to me. And, and remember, Mitch Morse and uh, Russell Bodine could not practice. Uh, Bodine, I think he's still rehabbing from his from his injury, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and shoulder, then, right? He, he had a broken leg. Well, Sean mentioned it as a shoulder. Did he? Which is oh, well, makes me I... wonder if he had off-season shoulder surgery because I wouldn't think right. that a broken leg would completely make you miss. I saw Russell Bodine walking around like months ago. Okay, um, so well, I I don't know that. Well, then maybe he, he, has nothing to do with he either misspoke leg. and said it as a shoulder, or right. it's still a combination of the two. But sure. yeah, he's he he did not practice off-season surgery of some sort. But the way they lined up with the soft first offensive line was Deion Dawkins at left tackle, Spencer Long at left guard, John Feliciano at center. Uh, it was Quinton Spain at right guard and Ty Secchi at right tackle. The slight surprise in that was that Quinton Spain did not line up at left guard because that was kind of his spot in Tennessee. So you figured, oh, Quinton Spain, he'll, he'll go to left guard. Nope. Spencer Long did. So maybe they're rotating 
the, those guys, and and maybe it was different the day before. There's always the possibility of that since we only get one out of three during OTAs. I'll be more interested to see what they do when we're able to see the three practices consecutively um, for the for the mandatory minicamp. But the other slight surprise that would ha- could have uh, here's my buzz term for the podcast a ripple effect would be. If John Feliciano can give them some backup center reps, that, and this is going way far down the rabbit hole, but that could make Russell Bonine expendable because if he's a backup interior offensive lineman, I mean, that, that, that you know, ups his value to stay. Whereas Russell Bonine plays one position, and that's center. He doesn't play it very well. No, he sure doesn't. So... You know, the, and and the other thing, Deion Dawkins didn't practice anywhere but left tackle. That that uh, that deserves to be said out there as well. Yeah, it was our first look. I'll be more interested to see next week if it's different. Yes. Or, you know, the thing is, when only one of the three practices of the week is open, you you're not really getting a full picture. I mean, for all we know, they could put Deion Dawkins out there only when we're out there just to hide the fact that they're looking at him somewhere else. You know, it's it's tough to really know what they're doing in the, the practices that, that aren't open to the media. That's why they don't open them. But they still, you know, that was the only first-team unit. I was wondering if each time out they would switch it up or move it around, and they didn't do a whole lot of that at all. And now it, it's just going to be interesting to see the battle on the interior and how it will be impacted by the battle on at the tackle spots. It's all tied together, but Mitch Morse being out did give us a little bit of a clue because otherwise he would have been out there and everything else would have looked different. So, Mm -hmm. you know, or maybe it would have looked the same and Feliciano just wouldn't have been out there. So Mm -hmm. it gave us a little bit of a clue that Feliciano has some flexibility to play multiple spots and that should help him in the long run. But Ike Butker also got some second-team reps at center. For he did, worth. which I, I thought was a good sign for him, but yeah. still only means he's, what, fourth on the center depth chart? Yeah, but, not great. But, you know, being able to do both, still has practice squad eligibility. I mean, it's a guy that's been been here in their system. You'd rather have Ike Butker than Russell Bodine, I would say, because, you know, he can play multiple spots. The question is, would you rather have Ike Butker than you know, this log jam of guards that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, Vlad Dukas is now a third teamer. Third team right guard. But still How hanging the mighty on. have fallen. You know, th- I mean, hanging on is relative. But hanging on nonetheless. Like he's still getting paid. Still yes, cash and paychecks. He's getting paid. But he... Well, actually, technically, well, no, kind of. Yeah. Getting I mean, a workout bonus, yeah. probably. But he's, not getting paid a lot. He is there basically just to kill time yeah. for them. And... So that way, to give their third stringer some valuable reps. Speaks to the depth they now have that the guy who started a decent chunk of the season is now third team. Well, you know why he started. Juan Castillo. Right. He was Juan's guy all the way through. And they didn't have a lot of good players on the offensive line. Also true. There wasn't much keeping him on the bench. Wyatt Teller, second team after starting a, a good amount last year. Cody Ford starting off on the second team, but that's 
somewhat typical for these rookies. Mm-hmm. Um, Ed Oliver was on the second team exactly, for what it's worth. Yeah, and the only two like notable rookies that have come through the last three years that started with a first team immediately was Tremaine Edmonds and Tredavious White, and that's because the Bills were desperate at those positions both of those years. So, I mean, And those guys were good, mature yes, players yes. who could handle it. Yes. Dawson Knox got some reps yesterday, but only because without Tyler Croft, there was, uh, you know, there were reps to be had. I think Tommy Sweeney might have even got one or he two. He got in there. Um, mm-hmm. with, with Josh Allen. So they were moving a lot of guys through at the various receiver spots. That's where it's a lot harder to figure out the depth chart this time of year because – John Brown wasn't out there yeah. doing much of anything. Cole Beasley wasn't out there. Andre Roberts didn't do much. Vic Bolden getting Victor some run. Victor Bolden got a good amount of snaps mm-hmm. and looked pretty good. Uh, Cam Phillips was exclusively with the second team, it seemed like. he looks, As was Isaiah McKenzie. He looks a, quite a bit bigger uh, to me. A lot uh, of these guys rocked yeah, up. A lot. I mean, when you're a rookie and you haven't had a full year with the nutrition and strength program. Um, I suppose that's that's only to be expected. Uh, but a lot of moving pieces at wide receiver. And, you know, Robert Foster and Zay Jones, despite all the movement, they were still kind of the focal points yep. yesterday. And Jason Kroom, which is kind of how the season ended right. last year with those three being, you know, the main guys. And those are the three guys that know the offense best and that know Josh Allen best. So it makes sense that this early they would still kind of have a big piece of the pie. How about this for big uh, off-season workout programs? Corey Bajorquez is now jacked. Like, He's a big boy. He he had relatively skinny arms for, for as NFL players go. No longer. Like... He must have done all his rehab. Um, well, where'd he go? Like New Mexico State, or I think he just went to New Mexico. So he not a big program. No, and now gets to come into an NFL locker room. Look, these punters are not messing around. They this are is not. going to be a fight to the finish. It is for that starting punter job. It is hashtag Corey versus Corey. I have been excited for this since really. The end of last season. I've been pumping it up in in my stories for the last couple of months now. Oh, it's going to be awesome. If you're coming out to St. John Fisher College, you're coming out there to see the punters. They, no joke. Bring your stopwatches. Yes, I agree. No joke. These two, Corey Carter and Corey Bajorquez, they have huge legs. Like, they're not all that consistent. But Corey Carter can punt the ball to the moon, I think. That guy has a hell of a leg, but he has no consistency whatsoever. He was probably on on uh, pace to win the job from Colton Schmidt last year. And then, of course, you know, he suffered that injury in a preseason game and never to be heard from again. But the Bills kept him. They could have cut him. They could have cut him loose. Same thing with Bohorquez. They could have cut him after he suffered a season-ending injury, but they didn't. Kept him around for the Corey versus Corey punt extravaganza. 2019. I'm only half kidding. Corey Carter is lucky it's not a bench press competition. That's for sure. Bohorquez. Or curls competition. Right. Yeah. Corey Bohor curls. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I'll stop. Uh anything else catch your eye from uh from OTAs day uh one of three? 
I liked that they were blasting the Rasta horn in the middle of Steven Hauschka trying to <laughs> kick, which I am going to hazard a guess is Steven Hauschka's idea in order to help him with his mind games. They certainly stuff. didn't do that for, uh, what is his name, Chase McLaughlin? They did not. And I have not seen them ever do that with Mm-mm. Hauschka before. So I have not seen any Bills team do that with a kicker before. So that was pretty funny. Yeah. I liked that. At first, I think people thought they were just screwing with him, like playing a joke, but they were doing it on every kick. And I think it was probably at his request to practice <laughs> unexpected, you know, just blocking everything out. And he's he looks healthy. Some you know, some a few people asked me that because he did not look healthy at the end of last season. Mm-hmm. And he seems fine. Um, and he basically helped design that sports performance he, a lot he had a lot of input into how that whole thing was constructed so wow. i'm sure he'll get uh quite a bit of use out of that uh he'll probably spend hours getting lost in the various pilates and hot yoga places and everything else so special teams should should be much improved yeah uh based on where they were at the end of last season with a you know banged up Hauschka and matt dar Slapping punts all around. Mm-hmm. Um, last thing for me, um, just quickly on the cornerbacks, Levi Wallace was the uh, s- the first team right cornerback, um, and his immediate backup with the second team was Kevin Johnson. Who he, looked great. Yeah, he, he looked... As good as you can look in a no-padded practice. Foster got him a couple of times. Foster got him, but he was he was playing the physical style yeah, that he was. it was... That you're never, not supposed to. I'd never really watched him yet. First of all, you're not supposed to. <laughs> but I've never really watched him, and he's a former first-round pick, and you, you wonder, eh, you know, what's he got? Right. And you can see why Sean McDermott likes him, because he was very physical, and he pissed off LaShawn McCoy and Zay Jones on one play. but And then the, the next play, Robert Foster He had clearly been him. rattled. Because Crushed him. I think he was like second-guessing right. the intensity that he was playing with and then right. got burned. And he was having a conversation with Tredavious White walking off the field uh, after practice, uh, sort of about about that. And I think he'll find his confidence. And look, if he pisses off Zay Jones and LaShawn McCoy every single day, I think that's great Yeah, um, because the Bills need more out of both LaShawn McCoy and Zay Jones. So get in their face, piss them off, knock them down, play a little too physical because – you know, there's nothing wrong with that, uh, and it's increasingly rare at the cornerback position. So I think they're deeper there than they've been yeah, since, since, since McDermott, McDermott got here. Yeah. So now you've got EJ Gaines who can play inside out. You've got Taron Johnson who's still in no contact. You got the, you know, the the same three you finished the season with last year with Levi Wallace if he can continue to take strides. But then you've got Kevin Johnson and EJ Gaines who can, you know, provide some depth and you know when you go to four or sometimes five corners you know Mm -hmm. you can you can now play that game provided people stay healthy which is a question mark for just about every single one of these guys yeah um and i'm glad you brought up gains because they were very sneaky by uh they had him out there as as one of the two base cornerbacks with the second team, but then when it was a three receiver look, they brought in Lafayette Pitts and Gaines flipped inside to, to cover the nick or to be nickel and to cover the slot. So that speaks to his versatility. Um, one last thing, Saran Neal was playing big nickel. 
um, for a lot of that practice. And that was his main role, which will be very interesting to see how they kind of, uh, I guess, push him into the safety room because I don't know. He's, he's not, he doesn't strike me as their normal type of safety, but, but he does, he is kind of like a, a niche player where, where um, if he hits and can be, and has that athleticism to cover guys, uh, bigger slot guys, he's, he's an interesting chess piece if, if he can do it, or he's just a, uh, a special teams player. I mean, he's a fifth-round pick, so we'll, we'll see how he kind of evolves, too. I know they viewed him as sort of that big nickel when they picked him, but it, it takes a while. Yeah. That's a brand-new position, and so a lot of these guys entering year two, it gets interesting now because you've had a year to develop and you're still on the roster, so if you're going to be the big nickel, this is the time to prove it, and they don't... I know they played Raphael Bush in a quasi-big nickel type of role, but it wasn't quite... Um, wasn't quite what you would want right. Saran Neal to become. And, and I think this will be a, I'd like to see them be able to use that more. I think that would, would make the defense a little bit more interesting and uh, would add another dimension to it. And Neal definitely fits the profile if he can figure it out mm-hmm. between the years. All right. Well, we will uh, get to see the practice again uh, next week on Tuesday, May 28th. And uh, we'll we'll kind of do the same thing um, and record maybe a day or two after the OTA practice gets done, just to go over our thoughts, things that uh, we saw, that uh, maybe some changes along uh, how the guys are lining up, everything like that. But again, it's it, it's good to keep everything kind of in a vacuum every practice because we are only able to see one out of every three. So they could be doing a rotation from one day to the next. So things could be different. So that, it's just important to keep all that stuff in mind. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening, especially if you are listening to us on Spotify. That that That's pretty cool. Um, this will be the most we shout out Spotify. So That's what you think. You're welcome, Spotify. Really, thank you too. Thanks for thanks for accepting us after all this time. Now we're not. Are we missing anything now? Oh, there's there's, there's s- many. There's other ones apps. you can you can jump into, but uh, that's the those are the big five, I think. Um, and then if there's any others that are out there, shout me a holler. But I think that this uh, covers a lot of how people consume their podcast. All right. Well. Uh, We will speak with you next week. Um, Have a wonderful weekend, and uh, and we'll see if this uh, Bills team can start to come to come together on offense a little bit more than they than they did in that first practice. So for Matthew Fairburn, my name is Joe Piscalia. We will speak with you next week after the second practice that we can see after the second week of Bills OTAs. Talk to you then. See ya.